we're in this series of the Lord's Prayer. And, uh, and last week, uh, I preached on the first line of the Lord's Prayer, Our Father in Heaven. And uh, I'm going to just move rapidly ahead today and preach on the second line. And you may be thinking, this could be a long series. It's going to go for a few weeks, I hasten to add, but you can't just rapidly zip through the Lord's Prayer as if it's like a, some sort of you know, high-speed um, um, bullet train or anything. You actually need to dwell on this because Jesus responded to the disciples and said, um, when they said, Lord, teach us how to pray. And he, and he began to teach them. And so today we're going to look at um, from Matthew chapter 6, verse 9. The, uh, the the phrase this then is how you should pray our father in heaven hallowed be your name hallowed be your name let's uh, have a word of prayer father I ask now that the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts together will be acceptable in your sight that your Holy Spirit would continue to speak to us and lead us into all truth and understanding. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, it's interesting that, that the latter part of that line says, hallowed be your name. And names are interesting things. You know, when, um, when parents um, are trying to choose a name for their children, in the past they used to go to these special babies' books and, you know, search through, and sometimes it can be quite a tricky thing between the husband and the wife to land on what is the name for their future child. Um, and there were some interesting names around, and names have meanings. So I'll just pick on myself, for example. So the name Mark, and you know everyone can check it these days because you don't have to buy a baby book. You just go online and find out the meaning of your name. The name Mark um, means, um, unfortunately in some ways, um, to be warlike. Now, I don't know whether my parents were searching through the baby book and found, oh, let's have a child who's going to be warlike. You know, I don't, I don't think that was first um, in their mind. But mind you, if you go to the um, search a bit harder, the biblical meaning of Mark, as opposed to the original meaning of warlike, means to be polite and shining. So I don't know. I, I'll, I'll, uh, I can take that. Or one of my good friend, Craig Bailey, who I go to the football with, who... Um, demonstrates white line fever so as soon as the whistle blows at football he completely changes and uh, just has an idea that there's this worldwide conspiracy of umpires against the Adelaide Crows and just completely and he, maybe he's right I don't know but uh, he, he, um, he completely changes but his name actually means a rock or a, dare I say it, a crack in the rock so once again you know a name is interesting I, I looked up just randomly I, I looked up the name Leah and um, look, according to what I looked up, it means weary. I wasn't going to say that, um, but it was another phrase, delicate. Now, I mean, yeah, I, it's, that's better. But And uh, I chose another one, um, Kelvin. I don't think Kelvin's here today, but the name Kelvin apparently means friend of ships. So you just, it is a good takeaway for you. So... We have these names that mean certain things, but can I say that in the Bible, in the Bible, the name of the Lord is actually a manifestation of God's character. It's who, he's, who he is. So we see, for example, that in the Old Testament, there were these great promises, um, you know, 
you shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Um, the, uh, the name Jesus means the Lord who saves. So the name of the Lord actually means something about his character, who he is, as opposed to Mark being um, warlike, which I must admit on the hockey field occasionally I used to um, get a fraction agitated, but uh, I don't think I was um, necessarily too warlike. But, but God's name is who he is. It's his character. And in fact, it's a wonderful exercise. It's a separate one to go through the Old Testament and look at all the names of the Lord. And you can see how they describe different aspects of his character. El Shaddai, for example, the God who provides. Um, but here we have the Lord's prayers and, and Jesus is asking the disciples to pray, hallowed or holy be your name. So the prayer is not that God should be holy because God is holy, but rather that the prayer is that God should be regarded we should regard God as holy, as holy. So that's so. So God's name, His character, His personality, is being revealed here. And one of the aspects of God is that He is holy. He is holy. I want to just tease that out a bit because I think that we very much can identify with one aspect of God's character, which is his love. And, and look, last weekend, I mentioned last, last Saturday, last weekend, I preached at my, um, I gave a homily, I think is the appropriate phrase at a marriage service. I gave a short homily um, as I married my daughter. And not surprisingly, I preached about love. I think people would be a bit shocked if I'd preached about holiness. But anyway, I preached about love. And, and we can relate to love. And as soon as you say it, this is nice, particularly the wedding. People smile. They relax. Feeling good. Love. Yeah. How good is that? But can I say, folks, that love is a wonderful aspect because God is love. But the Bible also strongly talks about the fact that God is holy. We feel very comfortable about love. Not so sure about the holy aspect. Let me just delve into it a little bit. Let's have a look at 1 Peter, chapter 1, verse 15 and 16, which should be up on the screen. And Peter is talking to, to be writing this letter to the early church. And he says, and just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. So God is holy and he calls us to also be holy. You may be thinking, well, what is this whole thing about holiness about? Well, to be holy is basically to be set apart. In a Christian context, separate, separated from sin and impurity and set apart to God. So, so the early Christians were called to be holy. They were in the world, but they were not called to be worldly. They were called to separate themselves from sin and impurity and to separate themselves to be to be given to God. So we're not called to be hermits. We're not called to bunk, bunker down and close the, batten down the hatches and, 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 and separate ourselves from the world. But no, we're called to be in the world. But in terms of our behavior and our attitude, we're called to be separate from sin and impurity. And we're called to be set apart to God. 
because God is holy. God is holy. And uh, one example amongst many about this holiness is what Ella read to us from the book of Isaiah. And let's just have a look at this because Isaiah is praying and he has a vision. He has a vision of the Lord. And uh, it even gives a context of time. So at a point when this ancient king called King Uzziah, when he died, Isaiah is praying and he says, I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. So we have this incredible picture of um, of Isaiah, and, and it goes on to say, and with him were these strange creatures called seraphim. We don't know exactly much about them. They're only mentioned a few times, but here they're talked about. They've got six wings. With two wings, they covered their faces. With two wings, they covered their feet. And with two, they were flying. So can you just picture this? Isaiah has this vision, the Lord high and lifted up. And then we have these angelic beings. And they're flying around, six wings. And they're saying to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. And in the midst of all this, the sound of their voices, the doorposts and the threshold shook and the temple was filled with smoke. So can you just imagine for a moment if we were here and we had these angelic beings, six wings flying around and, and the whole place begins to shake. And, you know, sometimes, you know, we have these smoke machines, not here today, but occasionally you, you can go to concerts or even Christian events and, and you have smoke machines and, and, uh, and the place can fill with smoke. Imagine if the whole place was filled with smoke and it was shaking. That's what was going on here. This was an incredible vision. Pretty graphic the way Isaiah despised it. And these angelic beings are saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. Well, what was his reaction? Well, you know, sometimes we can be a little bit familiar about the Lord God. And, uh, and it wasn't as if Isaiah had this incredible vision and he says, well, Lord, it's great to be here. This is good. I'm just in the, I love the vibe here. I'm really happy to just to be here and to be at peace and to just enjoy the atmosphere. No, no. Isaiah was confronted with this incredible vision. And this is his response. We read it in verses five and six. Woe to me, I cried. I'm ruined. In other words, I've had it. I'm in big trouble. For I'm a man of unclean lips. I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. We'll just hold it there. Why did he react in such a negative way? Why was he so fearful about seeing God high and lifted up? What was it that caused him to say he was ruined? Well, Isaiah knew that he was impure and wasn't holy, and he was in the midst of a holy God. You know, further back in the Old Testament, there was this wonderful character called Moses. 
And Moses met with God. And God gave Moses the Ten Commandments. But, you know, when you read the book of Exodus, Moses said, God said to Moses, No one can look at me and live. And God said to Moses, When I pass by, I'm going to hide you in the cleft of a rock so that you only see my back as you pass by. Because we, folks, dare I say it, in our natural sense, are not holy. And we're talking about a God who is pure and who is light, in whom there is no darkness at all. And he's holy. Just imagine, for example, if this place had the, the curtains, the blinds pulled down, all the lights were turned off, and uh, it was dark. And imagine that to get over the darkness, there was a candle. Someone brought in a candle. And I lit the candle, and I um, put it in the front here. Now, one candle would just sort of start to show a little bit of light in the place, but if you're sitting at the back there, just one candle in a darkened room isn't going to do a lot. So let's bring in a hundred candles. Now, if we brought in a hundred candles here, I'd probably would have to move, not only because they might take up space, but they start to produce a lot of heat. Now, candles are good because they give light, but if you're too close to it, there's a lot of heat there and it's uncomfortable, so you've got to move away. Imagine if we brought in a thousand candles now. We would probably all have to vacate the building because the heat, the intensity of it would be too much. And your candles are great. They produce light and heat, but the, but the absolute magnitude of it was too much for us. Too much. We couldn't stand to be here. We'd have to move away. And God is holy. He is light. He is pure. And we're not. And so Isaiah sees the Lord and he says, Woe is me. I'm ha I've had it. I'm in big trouble. I'm going to die. Because I've seen the king. I've seen the king, the Lord Almighty. But folks, I want to tell you, the gospel comes through here. You know, you don't just have to look at the New Testament to know about the good news of the gospel. Here we see the gospel being demonstrated because what's happened? If we go to the next verse. Then one of these strange angelic beings, the six winged creatures, one of them flew to me, flew to Isaiah with a live coal in his hand. Just you can imagine this hot burning coal. And he brings it in. It's come from the, from the altar. And it's got these tongs. He'd taken it with tongs. It was probably so intensely hot. So you imagine these, this, these six-winged creature grabs hold of with his tongs and picks up a live coal from the very altar and then takes it to Isaiah. And we go to the next verse. And when he touched my mouth, Isaiah says, when it touched my mouth, and he said, see, this has touched your lips. What's happened here? Your guilt is taken away and your sin is atoned for. So in the midst of Isaiah's impurity and separateness from, from, from God is purity, in the midst of it all, God reaches out with this burning coal from the altar, touches his lips, and it says his guilt's taken away. His sins atoned for. 
Now, I don't know, I'm sure you can see that the, the imagery here, that Jesus, Jesus is like the burning coal from the very throne of God. And he touches our lives. And when we give our lives to Christ, our guilt's taken away and our sin is atoned for. And that's why Isaiah could stand in the holy place because the burning coal sent from the altar had touched his lips and made him clean. And folks, we can stand. And this is the great news of the gospel. Because of the gift of the burning coal in Christ himself, we can stand in the presence of a holy God. See, God hasn't changed his character. You don't flick a switch from the Old Testament to the New Testament. God is holy. He hasn't changed his holiness. He is still light. He's still pure. And yet the wonderful thing is that we can stand in his presence because of what Jesus has done. He is the coal sent from the very altar, touching us. How good is that? How good is that? And it hasn't got much to do with us. I know you might think, why does he bang on about this? Well, I'll keep on banging on about it because it's so important that salvation is a gift. And the burning coal is a gift. The angelic being brings the burning coal to Isaiah, touches his lips, and the Father sends the Son for us so that we can stand in the presence of God. Our guilt is atoned for, and our sin is gone. That's the gift of God. It's the gift of salvation. And I just want to show it, say that the love of God, which we feel so comfortable about, and the holiness of God are like two sides of the same coin. Because if, And if you don't have one without the other, you get a distorted view. But so if you think of just God as love, we can think of that love as being sentimental and a bit sickly sweet. And unfortunately, some of our pop songs are a bit like that. But we understand the immensity of God's love when you understand his holiness. So God's love is, and his holiness is such that God just can't simply forget about sin and sweep it under the carpet. Something has to be done with it, and something has been done with it. The burning coal sent from the very throne of God has come in Jesus Christ. So the love of God and the holiness of God come together. That's who God is. He loves us so much that he has to give his only son for us because of his holiness. Because of his holiness. So what are the implications for us for prayer? Because this is how Jesus teaches how to pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed or holy be your name. Why does it give such prominence? Why is it, so, why is it the second line of the Lord's Prayer? Well, we need to know the very nature of God. We need to understand who God is and he shows us to who he is. But when we pray, we're not just praying to some smiling, you know, Father Christmas figure who dishes out presents if we behave well. And how many parents here have been slightly guilty of uh, implying that if, you know, you, you, the, the Christmas presents are linked with behaviour? I don't know whether that's ever happened in anyone's family circumstances here. Any kids who ever had their parents say that? I'm going to bring up Father Christmas. I don't know how you do that, but I'm going to ring up Father Christmas and tell him such and such. I've seen people do that. No, no. God is not a celestial Father Christmas who dishes out good things if we behave well. God is a heavenly Father who is also holy, who loves us so much that he's brought us back into the family through his son Jesus. 
So when we pray, we're praying to this holy God who is pure and light, but we can approach him because of what Jesus has done for us. So it's not a sense of familiarity. It's a sense of reverence. That's who God is. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. God is holy, but he's reached out to us in his son Jesus. The burning coal has been sent from the throne room and touches our lips. So, you know, in the Bible, it talks a lot about the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And we don't talk about the fear of the Lord too much, but it really means reverence for the Lord. And we, do, we need to have a reverence. We need to have a holy respect for God because that's who he is. And so it affects our prayer life because we're praying to, we can have boldness to approach our wonderful Heavenly Father, but also he is a holy God. And how incredible privilege we have to pray to him. The book of Hebrews says that we can have boldness to approach his throne of God, God, grace with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed in pure water. So God has made it possible for you and I, as crazily disappointing sometimes we are in ourselves and how we behave, but God has made it possible for you and I to approach him, our heavenly father, who is holy. And unlike Isaiah, we don't have to cry out, woe is me, I'm ruined. But we can cry out, Heavenly Father, I'm your child and I'm here and you love me and you're reaching out to me. Let's pray. Dear Lord, I ask that this incredible understanding of your nature might be something which is um, fresh for everyone here, whether we're in this building or we're, later we're going to be listening to the podcast. Lord, that um, we, all of us, all of us, Lord, might get a fresh understanding of your nature, your holiness. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Amen.